Namutasa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samma Sambutasa Namutasa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samma Sambutasa Namutasa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samma Sambutasa Buddhang Dhammang Sangam Namasami Some of us come here to get relief from the busyness and the stress of life. And some of us come here to have good companions, good friends who are kind and compassionate. Usually in Buddhist circles you find very kind and compassionate people. And some of us uh, are here for a higher purpose, which is to free ourselves from suffering. We are intent on inclining towards the realization of the enlightened mind. So the freedom from suffering is not just to end our discomfort, but it's to grow in wisdom and compassion, to awaken to the truth, the truth of the way things are. That is the real freedom from suffering. It's not for a temporary relief from the world and all its impacts, the worries and hassles of life. But it's to gain, as a result of that, a peace and equanimity, which is not temporary, a place of refuge and unshakability of mind that cannot be overwhelmed by worldly conditions. So transcendence. This peace comes from an integrity of mind. In Pali, there is hiri, otapa. Hiri, or moral shame, is not a, a word that's pleasant to many ears. There's an aversion to it. But this is more a recognizing what we've done that has not been skillful and recovering from that, checking in, reviewing our conduct and seeing what was harmful and what was not. How can we do better? How can we create the peace in our world, in our daily lives, in our activities, in the way we approach life, in the way we listen to others, in the way we are with others, in the way we listen to ourselves, in the way we are with ourselves? So moral shame is moral responsibility. And it also makes intentions of how we will proceed. That's where otapa comes in. It's a moral fear. Knowing how easy it is for us to slip up and how important it is for us to care for the mind so that we don't repeat our mistakes that we are diligent and ardent and conscientious 
in future acts and future ways of speaking. So this shouldn't be just a concept, but it should be something for us to understand. What is this moral? Uh, are we just human beings or are we human because we are moral? And in the Buddha's reflections and teachings, there is a constant refrain around morality. It's not just a byproduct of the practice, and it's not just a sideline. It's the very core of the teaching. We start with generosity, but generosity comes from gentleness. And generous to generate, to create goodness. And by creating goodness, we start giving. It's a reaching out from within ourselves in a way that is kind and thoughtful towards others. And in fact, it's very rewarding because it brings us, in return, an immediate feeling of well-being. Without that feeling of well-being, we can't really sit down and concentrate our minds because if we're not acting well, speaking well, thinking well of ourselves or others, then we're going to be full of ill will or hatred, aggression, irritation. We're going to annoy people. We're going to suffer. But when we act well, we practice kindness, and we generate goodness around us through generosity, through kindness, through thoughtfulness, through sensitivity, through a courageous compassion and tolerance and an ability to be patient and accepting of others, forgiving of others, and forgiving of ourselves, then we develop morality. It's a generosity, and then it, it naturally gives rise to morality. So to be more all, moral, more with all beings, more all-inclusive, more all kind. There's all these qualities that beautify the mind, that harness the integrity of the mind. So there's a, a unification. You'll notice when you are trying to concentrate on your breath how much distractedness there is. And that distractedness comes from a lack of integrity, a lack of unification. So within morality, there is already the ability to draw together strength. And the strength comes from purity. And the purity comes from skillful conduct, moral speech, moral action, moral thoughts. So consider the important connection right there. Just as if you were to plug an appliance into a wall, if you don't put the connection in firmly, then the current of electricity is erratic. The kettle won't boil, the iPad won't function properly, the light will be dim. And so it is with the mind. If we're not morally tuned in, our minds won't settle, our concentration won't develop, and we will have very little insight.
And even if we garner a little bit of insight here and there, we would have no stamina with which to carry that back into daily life. It would be just a conceptual, intellectual exercise of a Friday evening and have little relevance to what we do when we leave. But if we have moral integrity, then we have continuity, consistency, concentration, compatibility with life, with the inherent harmony and integrity that the universe runs on. This integrity is awake to the truth. It's like the electric current or like the wave of goodness that can rise up within us and beautify the world. So in fact, when we talk about peace and harmlessness, it really begins within us and within our own ability to develop that integrity. Now those were a lot of words. This is straight from the scriptures. All beings tremble before violence. All fear death and all love life. See yourself in others, then whom can you hurt? What harm can you do? How many stories have we heard in the past year about violence? How many reports have we heard about violence? How many times have we felt trembling in listening to those reports? We tremble because we fear death and we love life. All beings fear death, all beings love life. When we hear about violence, we are naturally terrified. This terror comes because we are not morally whole. We are not morally intact. True consummation of morality occurs through the enlightened mind. The enlightened mind does not tremble before violence. It does not fear death. It does not love life because the enlightened mind has a consummate equanimity for all conditions. Life is known as impermanent. It arises through birth and it falls away through death. These are natural conditions. So the being who has moral integrity in the awakened mind does not tremble before violence. And by oneself, that being never generates violence, but only generates stillness of heart, a stillness that is powerful in all conditions. So what we can know from trembling in front of these violations that we see all around us is that we still have work to do. And if we can know our fear as impermanent, suffering, and not what we are, then we need not be frightened of our fear. 
In fact, we cannot change the nature of the world, but we can fulfill the potential of the nature of our mind. So even in the midst of the most terrifying conditions, we can develop fearlessness. We can try to remember to be forgiving and whole. We may shake, but somewhere within us we must seek that island of fearlessness and confidence. I remember once I was visiting my parents and they lived in a condo in Florida and we heard shots and then there were police sirens and there was a man that was holed up on a balcony in one of the nearby buildings with an arsenal of ammunition, rifles, you name it. And he was sitting on this balcony shooting at people on the road below, including the police cars that tried to approach. On the microphones that came by making announcements to all the people living in the area, they were telling us to stay in the buildings and not come out on our balconies. And my father, bless his heart, he opens the door and he goes out on the balcony to watch. (laughs) I was so scared. But I couldn't bear the thought that he was out there. So I opened the door and I pleaded with him to come in. Do you know there are shots firing in these announcements? Stay in your... Do not... Stay away from your windows. Papa, come in. Get in. He was just standing and watching. My body was so full of fear that my knees felt like liquid, like hot wax. I was melting with fear. But I could not let him stand out there. I had to get him in. Afterwards, I finally convinced him to come in. I realized that he was not afraid. It it really startled me. His fearlessness, like he wanted to see, what is this situation? What can I do? What do I need to do? Rather than just cowering indoors. And maybe he was a little reckless too. But (laughs) he was in his 80s, had lived through two world wars, had seen terrible things, been subjected to terrible things. And I tell you, I really did think that he was fearless at that time. But what I saw was the fear in my own body. The only thing that helped me overcome the trembling in the body was loving this person. And my concern and gratitude for him made me completely forget about my fear. It was only when I went back inside that I I realized how very frightening the whole thing was. So this is not a, a small obstacle that we are trying to overcome. Fear is really a great obstacle to the mind, the undeveloped mind. And we shouldn't underestimate the power of it. But if we can see our fear and understand our fear and point the mind in the direction of that which is precious to us, whether it's love of the Dhamma or love of a person or something else, whatever you can point your mind towards that is beyond fear, 
that is not caught up with fear, then fear will not overwhelm us. We may die, but we won't die with fear. That's just something to consider. So what is important for us to do? We all fear death, and we all love life. In terms of taking the spiritual path, the choice of the spiritual warrior is to have compassion and refrain from harming others. If we see in others beings like us, who fear death and want life. If we become morally whole, we will not be capable of harming any living being, not killing insects, not killing goodness, not killing even our enemy, so not harming even an enemy. Somebody said to me they had heard that the Buddha condoned the resisting of violence towards oneself as long as we did not kill the other person. This is quite a deep topic. It reminds me again of Gandhi, who was an advocate of peace and an advocate of moral resistance to violence. And I do believe that moral resistance is taking the path of harmlessness and that when our minds are morally pure and morally whole, it's impossible for us to harm anyone. If we're able to act with peace in the face of violence, then we cannot be harmed. Our bodies could be harmed, but we are not this body. We are not this mind, this mental process. So if we are to die with a mind that is pure, that would be more noble than to live with a mind that is not pure. In Pennsylvania, I believe, some years ago, the man who was delivering milk came with a gun to an Amish community, entered the schoolroom, boarded up the exits, and then there were, I think, ten children in the room, and he shot them, each one. Five of them died, and five of them survived. They were just kindergarten children. And one of the girls was there with her sister, and when the man pointed the gun at them, she said, shoot me first. Five-year-old six-year-old child, shoot me first. There's just a tremendous teaching there. A small child loving her sister or loving the other children to such an extent that she would offer her life. Maybe he would stop. Just some reflections there for us to contemplate. What do we really love? What is to be loved? What is to be feared? Mm. Just to reflect and contemplate how we hold things. What do we value most? To be alive? 
or to be morally whole. How can we put an end to the fear that we have within us? The Buddha says, as medicine puts an end to sickness. Now, when we feel sick, what do we do? We go to a doctor. And we hope that the doctor will relieve our sickness. What about when we have mental sickness? What do we do? How do we alleviate our mental suffering? Many of us are in denial about our mental suffering. We think that we're, we're fine with the way things are. We're suspicious, we're envious, we're aggressive, we're hostile, we're negative, we're depressed, we're stressed. We just keep living with that. Actually, the way we deal with the health of the mind is a palliative choice. I'm not using the word like palliative care for the dying, but the mind is actually dying with suffering, and we give it palliative care. We dose it with pleasurable experiences like entertainments or meals, pleasant tastes, sounds, concerts, videos, text messages going on fascinating journeys, distraction, distracting ourselves from the painful, unpleasant states of mind that we're experiencing. Many people come to meditation with these mind states and alleviate the stress and the illness of the mind through meditation. Very skillful choice. Meditation is, in fact, a beautiful medicine, a wonderful medicine, the medicine of choice. But for those that don't meditate and who try to alleviate the fear, the anger, the worry, the stress, the doubt, the confusion, the restlessness, the the exhaustion by delving into worldly experiences and trusting worldly experiences, there is only temporary relief. Actually, even in the meditation practice for a long, long time, there's only temporary relief until we really get the gist of it, until we really begin to see the relationship between the wholeness of the mind, the removal of distraction, and the concentration of the mind. Even depression can be opened up and brightened and withered away, cut down at its root through this practice. As medicine puts an end to sickness, so Nibbana puts an end to all suffering. The freedom of Nibbana. As a mountain peak is free from all desire to please or displease, so is Nibbana. Nibbana means the going out, the extinguishing of the fire, the fires of greed, the fires of hatred, the fires of delusion. This is a very important 
way of, of seeing. We are so afraid of not being liked. We are so frightened of not being affirmed, approved of, accepted. We are afraid of being bullied, condemned, criticized, fired, exiled, marginalized, shot. So the fear that we have comes from a basic lack of understanding who we are. And we really do identify with the mind, the mind process and the body, the physical process. This is a kind of bondage. And that identification is a way of solidifying a self and then continuously have that self reinforced by other people's opinions. But in fact, there is nothing to cling to, no being at all. There is only consciousness, the mental processes arising and ceasing, and the physical processes arising and ceasing. They are separate. There is no solid being in any of it. But there is kama. There are causes and conditions which bring about the moral well-being within us to awaken to the truth of this emptiness of self. And then if we can free ourselves from identifying with this fictional being, that is the real medicine that frees us from suffering. Because by relying on this fictitious being, we suffer fear of being liked or disliked. There's nothing to like or dislike. It's all untrue. Through the development of this important connection between virtue, concentration of mind, and wisdom, we can penetrate to the truth with enough clarity to understand there's nothing to fear at all. This freedom is a mountain that is unshakable regardless of what is happening around it. It's a way of emptying the heart of all that is the dross of the world completely, day by day. How we speak, how we act, how we face fear, how we face grief, how we face anger, how we put it down. So what we're doing here is much deeper than just relieving stress. We're trying to put the appliance into the socket fully and get the total 120 or 240 volts. Our full potential is to realize liberation from suffering. It's not palliative care here. It's full awakening. And that's why we're taking this medicine. It's much more than just curing the, the disease of an unhappy mind. But it's to electrify, enlighten 
taking the whole package of dukkha away. Little by little, step by step. So I just give you these things as incentives to reflect on, to realize we're on a, a magnificent highway and we have a beautiful vehicle. It's the Rolls Royce. It's our inheritance. We don't have to purchase it. It's our natural right. We just have to understand that we have this ability if we are able to apply our minds in the right direction. And that takes courage. So let us not be daunted by the violence all around us. Let us instead understand the real path to peace. Wakefulness is the way to life. The fool sleeps as if he or she were already dead. But the master is awake and lives forever. These are mysterious words. <laughs> Full awakening. That is the true life. To be alive in the truth. May we all know the blessing of that. To be alive in wisdom and consummate in compassion. May we all know the blessing of that. Sadhu, 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 Onumata.